This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2-0 and he's... What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe! From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair... Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. Uh, this show uh, got a couple things going on. Have uh, Antonio the Promise Thomas. He and I go back and forth for I don't know a little bit less than a half an hour, and you know he's someone who has worked in the wrestling industry in, in some form for probably half of his life. So I do ask him a little bit about the speaking out uh, movement. Um, and also just, you know, how he's doing during this quarantine. He and I had a long conversation when it started and just kind of going over his career and, you know, he, he's really into, you know, helping folks with, uh, with their training and stuff and, and, you know, giving them tools and advice to, uh, to succeed, especially during this time when, you know, not a lot of people are going to gyms and such. So Antonio's going to, going to start us off. Uh, John and I will then pick it up. And we talk. We want Flair, Ric Flair versus Sting, Great American Bash. This is this is our We Want Flair season finale. Uh, as we've said prior, in the second half of 2020, we're going to start reviewing WCW Saturday Nights from 1992. So we'll we'll start with the first Saturday Night in July as a, as our first show, and that'll be actually a week from when you hear this. Uh, and then you'll hear in that where John and I are trying to figure out a certain thing that's going on because, you know, I'm using the observers mostly for my research here. And there's a moment in the in in our when we discuss where we're kind of unsure based on what Dave's writing and based on what happened uh, who would have been the number one contender coming out of uh, the Iron Man tournament in '89? And luckily, I was able to get Dave on for a quick 15, so that uh, he could clear a couple of things up with us. So you'll hear John and I, and then you'll hear Dave right after, kind of cleaning up some of the the things that we had questions about. Uh, and then uh, I guess the last thing here is uh, the Rocky podcast that I've mentioned in the past we had doing on last week and he and I talked about it and just the genesis of that and what we wanted to do with that that is going to debut this week midweek on Wednesday Monday morning uh where this I'm, I'm assuming most of you will probably be listening to this sometime on Monday maybe Tuesday I will have a, a little kind of fun 
17 second trailer announcing the podcast on social media so check that out uh, give it a retweet if you, if you will and yeah so that that's about it you know we're gonna we're gonna um get right to the show get to get to uh promise and then to john and i and then finish off with uh big dave all right bring him back antonio the promised thomas he and i had a long conversation uh when when the quarantine stuff first happened and we kind of sat down and, and talked about his career and also you know kind of what what we could all do uh to stay in shape and to exercise during this period when we're you know not all of us are, are able to go back to a gym yet uh so bringing him back uh this is uh, this is still you know we are still in the same time frame with not being able to do stuff, but you know otherwise I imagine you're doing enough to to stay busy on your end. But how's it going, man? Uh, it's going great. Uh, there was a little lull there, uh, like in you know before things were open safely with with new restrictions, where you you get antsy, and especially for someone like me that's that's active, you know, teaching all day and then doing, you know, coaching or doing stuff, uh, martial arts related at night. It was, it was kind of, I was getting antsy there, but, um, you know, the, um, things in Massachusetts here have, have opened up for private gyms and boutique gyms where we can do workouts outside and, you know, do, do some shadow boxing and I do my, my conditioning classes and stuff, uh, got back into golf. So, uh, I've been golfing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, would golf all the time actually like probably the five, five or six years before I got into wrestling, I'd play three or four times a week. Um, so I got back into that and just, um, you know, trying to stay, trying to keep my, just making sure that, you know, my mom's, uh, mom's safe. Um, um, got engaged, making sure my fiance's parents are safe for all the good stuff, uh, coming up in the next year or so. So Wait, yeah, just, you got engaged just recently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, two weeks ago. Oh, actually. congratulations. Yeah. How did I not know that? I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't post any, <laughs> despite what's going on on social media and stuff. I don't really post a lot. I don't really go on, uh, Facebook too much for my own page or, you know, I I post stuff for the show. And, and if I have wrestling stuff related for Thomas Santel, I'll go on Twitter. But other than that, I don't really post it. I think, I think my, my fiance posted that we're now engaged. So that's how people saw it on Facebook. But, uh, but yeah, it's good. I'm excited. And, uh, you know, we'll, uh, It'll be fun. We'll have something, something very small probably this year, and then whenever we can all gather, hopefully have a uh, a huge, huge bash or something. Yeah, that's kind of our deal. Uh, I, uh, Crystal and I are gonna go through with what is uh, I don't even know what you'd you'd call it, but uh, wed- there's a wedding the wedding planners who'd sort of direct your Zoom wedding. We were supposed to get married August 1st. We had that date set, and uh, we are going to get married um, out here and uh, kind of Santa Cruz area and or uh, Aptos area. And mm. obviously, can't, can't do it. So 
instead of like just postponing the whole thing, you know, we, we really, especially now, you know, with, with who knows as far as the coronavirus and stuff, uh, we wanted to, to still get married. And so we hired a wedding planner and basically what they do is they direct your Zoom wedding. So there will be cameras in our home. There will be cameras in my uh, sister's home because uh, my nephew is going to be involved. And then everyone can sort of join in on the call and watch. And then you can sort of set up rooms where after it's all done, um, you can like just privately talk to a few people for a couple minutes and then kind of get through that and people can wish you congratulations stuff and uh, oh, cool. I, I have uh, one, of, one of the folks who I contract out for my company she's she's uh, a budding musician so I'm gonna have her like kind of play music while everyone gets situated and, and stuff so yeah I mean that's kind of thing and then like you like you maybe the, at the same time next year you know we'll have a full year and, and then we'll kind of have this like throw like a big party uh, for our like, mm. first anniversary. And that's when people who, you know, who were going to travel out and stuff to, to come see us. That's when we can kind of get people together and, and do it that way. But, yeah, man, it's, nice. it's a it, it's a crazy time, especially, you know, if you if you had plans on, on doing that. But, you know, you could still be creative like you guys and, and, and get it done. So. I appreciate you kind of helping me with the uh, the, the first segment of this show. Sure. Um, you and I had recorded something for your show, kind of doing a, a home and home here. So I don't want to really get too into this because uh, I know that, you know, we, we, you yourself are, are trying to kind of shed the positive lights on, on things. But yeah. just, um, you know, kind of like your thoughts on, on what's going on. You have, uh, you have a lot of experience in the wrestling business. And both from a national standpoint with the companies that you've worked with and also from a more independent standpoint for you know, you know your current indies. But like just from a culture situation, like where do, where do you sit with, uh, you know, with a lot of the news that has come out recently? And, um, you know, just you, just your point of view on like, was this surprising? Like, did a lot of this stuff come out, come out of nowhere or, you know, culture wise, like how does that, how, 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 what was your outlook on, on a lot of the stuff that came out? Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's doesn't, it's, it's not good. Uh, that goes without saying it, it, yeah, I was kind of, kind of surprised when, you know, you saw the David Starr stuff come out and I'm not going to name names or anything like that. I'm just going to say that because that was kind of the first. And then you saw all these other things come out and it was kind of surprising and, you know, stuff, stuff goes on in all sports. Um, you know, I think David mentioned that, you know, Brian had mentioned that in all, all sports, there are good and bad people, all walks of life. <clears throat> there are good and bad people. Um, and, you know, it was, it was surprising, you know, that stuff goes on. Uh, um, I, I think every case needs to be looked at separately. And I think, uh, you know, I don't, I, I want to be, I want to say not delicate with my words, but I don't, uh, you know, I want to give a mature answer. Right. And it seems like a lot of people, you know, there's a difference between 
substantial um, and valid um, accusations and hideous things that have gone on. But then there, you know, with anything, there comes out where people will come out with things and maybe the, you know, they're, they're totally different. There's a difference between assault and in certain cases, consensual adults. And, um, you know, you have to, you have to separate those things. What was, what was just being a shitty human being or being an asshole and what was being, um, you know, a a criminal. Yeah. And so you got to take each one, you know, I'm not, there's a bunch of horrible things, um, that have come out and, but you got to look at, you get, you got to take thing, you got to look at each case separately and, and realize that each case is, uh, independent of itself and look at the, look at the facts, what we know, look at the sources. And until they're, you know, um, there are certain ones that are, there's no doubt. Okay. This, that person's done. They're done. They're gone. That's horrible. They're, you know, um, but you can't, uh, again, not to bring up a name, but, um, you know, Sammy Guevara, he did nothing, uh, illegal. He didn't do anything. He did not assault anybody or anything, but what he's, you know, he, you can't use terms like that. And, uh, um, that wasn't his intention. And, and Dave said this as well. That wasn't certainly his intention. And it was, um, it was, I guess, quote unquote, locker room talk, but you can't do that. You can't do that anymore. And you can't do it, especially on a, on a podcast where people can pick up on it. And it's not right. That word isn't good. You can't, there's, there's God, I don't want to, you know, there's with everything that's been going on, um, you know, in this country and then within wrestling, um, the good part, again, I try to find the positives where these things, these bad things are coming to light and we're cleaning up, um, you know, they're, we're taking down statues in front of stadiums that have, of, of people that maybe have a racist background. That's great. That's, you know, we need to do that. We need to clear all this shit up and same thing in wrestling. I, me personally, I've never been, um, you know, I've, I've always kept my relationships for the most part separate from, you know, personal and professional. So, you know, me personally, I haven't dealt with any of this, this dark side of what goes on at training schools or what goes on after shows and whatnot. Let's quickly talk about our friends from Bet Online. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, BetOnline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, 
Blue Wire. Bet online, your online wagering experts. I was trying to explain, you know, because like you said, I'm sure in all in all forms of um, jobs or, or whatever, and this happens in the corporate world too, where people use their status and their and their power to take advantage of others. Um, and so in I was trying to relate something similar to sort of explain why professional wrestling has a problem and like what what business uh, I well, can compare it to. And so the one that I think is probably a close comparison is stand-up comedy. So if you, if if I think about it from the perspective of niche industry, right? Pro wrestling is is a niche industry and in niche industries you have super hardcore fan bases. And in some of those cases, just like in any celebrity, like those wrestlers are like akin to a movie star to, to so, this to this fan base. Yeah, there's there's so many parallels between stand up comedy and wrestling with the improv part. You have your act, you have your set, you got to get your reps in. You get. Yeah. So there's a lot there. I've always compared the two in terms of having a lot of parallels as an artist and as a performer. So, and if, and if I think about sort of the in independent wrestler who in order to, uh, make money off of the persona, there are sell, selling of, uh, of gimmicks and shirts and pictures. And then there's also meet and greets in like, for instance, in, in, in a professional sport, like, you know, even the 12th man on the Warriors, he may do an event, but he's not then going to do a separate meet and greet where he's going to, you know, charge okay. 50 bucks or 50 bucks to say, yeah, hey, uh, hey, 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 you know, so there's a lot more one on one time if you are that big of a fan and, and you want to spend the money to to spend time with the wrestlers. And I feel like stand up comedy is very similar. Like I can go to. Uh, even though I'm, I'm Adam Carolla and I aren't seeing eye to eye right now, but I've been to many shows in the past and, you know, for an hour before or an hour after the show, if you wanted to pay an extra 30 bucks for your ticket, you get to shake his hand. You get to he gets to put his arm around you and you get to take a picture. You get to post it on Instagram. So there is that one on one time in, in both industries. And that's kind of and I wanted to know your what, what you thought about that, if that makes it more apt. Yeah, well, like that to happen. Okay, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to bring that up in the turn. In I love you don't have this in Japan because not anyone can get into wrestling in Japan, and you know wrestling is you know you can you can liken it to stand up comedy, but it's like podcasting or it's like being a quote unquote professional fitness trainer or personal trainer. It's like, you know, it's easier and easier to do. And you can call yourself a quote unquote professional with two months of experience. And it's, there's schools all over the place. There's, there's promotions all over the place. Anyone, you know, people will say, Hey, I'm a professional. I know so-and-so they're a professional wrestler. And it's like, no, no, they're not. They're, they were trained by someone who isn't trained themselves. And it's like, 
they own a ring and they bought a ring and rent a building and it is what it is. Um, so, you know, I was, I call me old school, call me traditional, but I, I was never one to go out at intermission and sell my stuff or to, I liked keeping that aura Mm -hmm. of, um, I like keeping that aura of who you are in the ring separate from who you really are. And, you know, I, I go out as, as Thomas Santel and do a match was a throwback from the fifties with glasses and, and doing a grappling based, you know, and then I'm going to go mingle with, with board shorts and flip flops and my Montreal Expos cap with fans on afterward. No, it doesn't. It's like, Oh, ha ha. We know it's, it's like the wink. Let's get rid of the wink, wink, nod, nod bullshit between fans and, and workers. And it's like, you know, I, uh, there's promotions I work for where the fans, some of the fans will be messaging the boys. Hey, I got a storyline for you or the promoter. Hey, I got a storyline. It's like, stop. It's like, please stop. And it's, it's, a it's too close there. Yes. And, and there've been, I'm, I'm just going to use myself as an example. And there've, with like beyond wrestling when they would do their weekly uncharted territory stuff on whether it was on a Wednesday or a Thursday night. Um, there was one time where I got, you know, I'm all right. I got t-shirts. I was very popular there. Let's, let's make some money or whatever. But the fans want to, everybody has their stuff set up, which is fine. And people are selling before the show. Then they go out after their match during the show. And then they're mingling like the show ends and like sometimes three people leave and it's like they're taking the ring down and all the fans are there. And I, this is not a a criticism of beyond, but it's more of a criticism of you see that everywhere. It's so many promotions and it's like, I would, I would just leave. There were certain guys where myself, um, I'll just give examples. Ken Doan, Chuck O'Neill, who were both, I was a baby face. Those guys were both hated heels, but they didn't want to go mingle with the fans. We were, you know, there were times where I would leave without getting paid. And I just say, you know, catch me, catch me next week or catch me whenever I'll, cause I didn't, I just want to keep that part separate and I'm not knocking anybody that wants to go out and make money and sell their stuff. But there's also something about that aura, keeping that aura, um, while still being a, you know, keeping that, I don't know, the fourth wall or whatever you call it. I just value that. And, um, you know, if you go to a restaurant afterwards or if everyone goes and and has a, you know, goes out and gets some drinks afterwards and what that that's fine. That's normal. It's um, we're humans. We like to go out and eat after a show or a game or a event and sporting event, whatever. Um, But. I don't know. You don't see, you don't see, you don't see that happen in pro sports. You don't see that happen in college sports. There's something about, you know, when I was a kid or 
you know, reaching out, getting, getting, oh my God, getting floor seats to WWF or getting a seat on the aisle where I can maybe touch the wrestlers and slap their hands or, and I, I, I think some of that needs to come back. And I think eliminating, this is not, you know, the, the beyonds, the AIWs, the PWGs, whatever, those are the top promotions, class promotions, but some of these mom and pop little neighborhood or local things where just the lines are completely blurred. It's like, let's, let's pull back on that a little and let's, you know, not to bring up Japan again, but the way they train their, their young boys, the way they train from the ground up, the way they conduct themselves professionally. I just think let's, let's take some more of that and mm-hmm. keep it, keep it a little more separate. Um, you know, last thing again, not to go back to what is going on in pro wrestling. Um, you know, uh, Sasha Banks is from this area, right? She was training. I remember, um, going to the the new England pro wrestling Academy a couple times and, um, seeing her there before, you know, being there when she, before she even started having matches. And then, I don't know, six months later you hear, okay, she's made this girl. Oh, that's the same girl. She's making a name for herself now. Um, here in the Northeast and whatnot, doing, working her ass off, getting on any show she could, working hard, going to practice and whatnot. But as I don't know, she was 18 at the time. For me, myself, I was 31. The people I was close with were 31. We're mature men, we're adults. We're going to protect that girl. And make sure like no bullshit happens right. to her. And that's that's the difference between being a man and being, oh, hey, she's of legal age. Let's like cut the shit like that's that shit needs to stop. And I'm glad that it's stopping now. And and that's the way I feel. And if there's someone listening to that that disagrees with it, they can discuss it with me personally. But that's not, you know, we're we're both engaged, but we're both grown men. And just because someone is of legal age or just because someone is, is, is young and naive and, and, or they, or they may sort of be into the, you know, be attracted to you as a, as a grown up as well. And it is your choice to be like, yes, thanks. But you know, this is not, it's, it's your job to say, I am your trainer and thank you, you know, but like I am flattered, but you know, I, I keep things personally and professionally are separate and it is my job to, you know, you you don't, you don't hear things like that from Lance Storms when he had his school, when create a a real school, right? Like he ran like a create, create a pro, you know, you don't hear things like, like that because those are you know, examples of professionals. So that, that's all. And that's, that's, that's my piece on that. And that's kind of my, my little spiel and no, I, not, I, not I spiel, but that's, that's my take on I, it. I mean, it's from, your outlook. It's what, it's what makes right. you a professional when you, you are a professional. That's how you think. And, uh, and yeah, you know, I, I think that totally makes sense. And this was actually the perfect, 
Garrett, Garrett, it's like last thing here. It's like we're in our early 40s. It's like seeing kids. It's like seeing the kids of our, the friends we went to school with in high school or grew up with and saying, oh, well, they're in college now. Oh, that's like, come on. It's like, no, that's. And I'm not saying every case is like that in wrestling, but it's very similar where it's like there's there's certain morals to being an adult and being a professional. And, and you know, you know what I you know what I'm getting at? Yeah. Yeah. No. So uh, I, pre- I really appreciate it. I think that I thought that was uh, the way that you explained that that last piece, I think, was just about as crystal as you could possibly do. So. Um, appreciate you coming on and helping me with the first segment of this show. But just yeah. one last thing, which is the last time we talked, you know, you were very much like people were reaching out to you, like, you know, how do I train and still get the? Are you still doing stuff w- with folks like that? Like, are people still reaching out to you, and uh, and and you're helping them out with, you know, whatever whatever they can do to to try and stay in shape during this time. I mean, yeah, all, all the time, um, even, even before this and, and after this, um, absolutely reach out to me. Um, you know, uh, I, again, I don't go on, uh, Twitter as much, but if, uh, you reach out to me, I'll get a notification and I'll, I'll see, a will see the, I'll see notifications and I'll go to them, um, at promise Thomas on Twitter or, the one I pretty much go to now for the Thomas Santel, it's at retro grappler. Very simple. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, any advice, um, anything, uh, I can, I can help people with, you know, I gave some of my friends, some of my, my kettlebells and kind of gave them, a a, uh, a skeleton of what they can do at home. And I'm finding out people now, they, they don't need to go back to their gym. They have stuff, whether it's, uh, you know, rummaging through online or yard sales for old weights or barbells or dumbbells and then getting some kettlebells or some ropes or shadow boxing. I know I talked to you about doing some shadow boxing stuff or, um, you know, stuff like that. I, I, there are people hitting pads at my gym, hitting mitts at my gym. I don't feel comfortable doing that yet. So I, I go and me and the boxing coach, we, we shadow box and we run the class together. And I, you know, I, I'll, I'll, you know, I, I hung a bag, uh, at my fiance's house and, and do some bag work there. Um, so there's a lot of things you can do it, it, you know, um, if someone wants to hit mitts or if someone wants the roll and, and that's, it's up to them. That's it's to each their own, but there are things that you can do. There's a lot of stuff you can do and, and, uh, body weight wise, stretching wise. Uh, so hit me up anywhere on there, um, at retro grappler or at promise Thomas on Twitter. Um, also on Instagram at Thomas Matera. I don't post a lot of stuff on there, but I will get your message. Uh, if you, you find me on there. Yeah. Hit me up. Let me know if there's any way I can help. I want to do it. All right. And go check out, uh, if you're a member of F4W online slash wrestling observer, uh, check out promises, promise Thomas's podcast left my wallet, uh, recently 
uh, Missy Hyatt w- was on the show, and then I will be on the show fairly soon with our. Uh, we just did a, a fun watch along show, so yeah, also check it, that uh, out. Again, like with workouts, you got to get creative during this time because there's <laughs> there's you have less contact with other workers and uh, there's not a lot of sports going on. So, um, you know, when when things are in full swing, sometimes you can have two, three, four episodes. You can just pump them out in a week. But then other times um, you got to get creative. And we're doing that now. And uh, we had a fun watch along. And uh, hopefully it's up by the time you hear this. And uh, check it out. All right. Let's talk We Want Flair, the second half of our We Want Flair series on Sting and Ric Flair. Great American Bash 1990. You know, John, uh, on our last show, we talked about, you know, a lot of the sort of the negativity and having to deal with, you know, a lot of what's what's going on in wrestling. When you talk about stuff that is um, historic and has already happened and you can just kind of remember it through uh, a teenager's eyes, it was so much more fun for me to rewatch some of this stuff and go through all of the research that I did for this show because I didn't have to, you know, there were, there were fans at, at sting and, and, and flair from great American bash 1990. Yeah. A lot of great audience. There's that, that match felt so big and it was, it was, uh, it was a big historic match for sure. Okay. So where we last left off was at the end of uh, 1989 and sting wins the iron man tournament at Starcade future shock. And that sets up uh, a match with him against Ric Flair at Russell War. And there's a very historic clash before Russell War, mostly because of the promo by Ole Anderson. Um, I kind of wanted just to lay it out for you because I know that is that is a show that you remember very clearly. But kind of just go over the Sting and, and Horseman thing. And then, you know, because I, I think we talked a little bit about it uh, on the last show, kind of kind of what happened. But just from the perspective of you as a young fan, like watching this thing happen in real life, like did you even realize that Sting got hurt for real at the no. end of that show? No, did not have a clue until the next, that, that Saturday when they made the announcement that he was hurt. Um, but going into that show, you know, I was at this, out of my mind with the fandom because I was still, you know, still all of it still fairly still new and fresh and I couldn't get, you know, I wanted everything in wrestling and, and I was really into the NWA and really into the Four Horsemen versus JTEX feud. And of course, the main event on this Clash 10 was a cage match. And of course, back then still that, that meant something when they said it's going to be a cage match, right? Um, so I couldn't wait to see that match and I remember, like I, like I talked about last week, I remember, I remember it being a rainy night, a rainy day, uh, overcast. I, I can, I, I remember being super excited to watch it, and my dad probably pissed. I'm taking the TV up again, <laughs> and but he's a little more for some reason when it came to the NWA, he was a little more okay with it than the WWF. Like WWF, he kind of like, like, oh god, this is so stupid. You have to NWA. Yeah, well, this is before his pre-fall bear, but uh, um, you know, but but NWA, WCW, you know, he was always a little more. He really liked Flair. Like Flair was a guy he he, he had who had credibility to him, and he liked Sting, and he and and he liked Luger because I was such a huge Luger guy. So um, 
so you know the the horsemen come out for their big interview and and um everyone is so well done this this whole thing flair is you know dressed like rick flair always does right dressed the nines uh you know thousand dollar suit etc right um very serious a, too he's 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 not yeah he has a different it. look on his, yeah. But yeah he's not he's not like you know smiling and kissing babies um God, my cat is like going crazy right now. I'm sorry, folks. We can hear that in the background. It's just, uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, so an Oli, of course, dressed in black. And that's when I first hear the line. And I use it all the time. To this day, when I see someone wearing all black, I say, are you trying to get the Johnny Cash award for the man dressed in black? Uh-huh. Or something, you know, by Jim Ross. It's, I love that line. And you know, everyone's in black. But Sting is his black pants, but he has a white shirt. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Remember this when people actually thought about this stuff? Um, and I remember just watching this interview and being all excited. Yeah, they're going to talk about the match coming up. Well, and today, today they're worried about giving it away because the fans are so clued in. They don't want to give away what's going to happen. Rem- I remember when Trish Strash turned on, um, was it Christian or Jericho? Who was that? Who was remember that? Jericho, case? yeah. When she turned on Jericho. And I remember, I'll never forget Dave writing this news server. Well, I kind of had an idea because she was wearing heels. <laughs> I was like, shit. <laughs> so so here I'm just like, as a young kid, excited, you know, I'm ready for this big cage match. And here's my you know, the, the hero team and one of my favorites, Sting and Ric Flair. And, you know, excited. Arn Anderson's back in the NWA. And, and it's like getting really serious, this conversation. Only Anderson's really talking down to Sting. And my dad's like, and I'm like, my dad's even, he sensed it right away. He's like, I think they're going to beat up that guy. <laughs> I think it would be a sting. And I'm like, no, they would never do anything like that. You're crazy, Dad. And then all of a sudden, it just comes apart. And, you know, I mean, Ole Anderson cuts one of the greatest promos of all time. Um, definitely, like, like I said last week, like, you've, you know, this is a, you know, just for that, just that for that promo, go back and just watch this show. And um, I think the, you did, when, when these were really promos have been really, I mean, like, like I said, we talked about, um, on our Thursday show about the Randy Orton and um, Edge stuff, which has been great, but like this is just one of the all-time great promos. And they turn on Sting and Flair. I remember like being like, "No, like what the hell, Flair, do something, right?" Mm-hmm. And he doesn't come to his aid, and he says, "You know, get out of this business and everything." And I'm just like, I was crushed, and I just couldn't wait for Sting to get his revenge. And and. Do you remember the, the the cage match? It was like six minutes long. It was yeah. it wasn't even about the cage match. Yeah. It was even that was this, the cage match was just like let's just get it over with and this this we're gonna end this feud here. And it's all about Sting rushing the cage and and of course I didn't realize until like later on like you could see him like climb up and then all of a sudden he gets down and he's like oh shoot you know something major happened and yep. what Wahoo McDaniel who's the agent for that show he's you know talking to Sting and and then. Dude, Flair jumps on Sting like right after that. He like leaves a cage, just toss, jumps on him. Like, dude, like knowing his how his knee was, like, oh, okay, I had to add to it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the um, the match, which was going to be at at Russell War, the pay per view, was going to be Sting and Flair, and it has to be changed because Sting is obviously hurting. So what do you do to change the match? You know, we've talked about this. They didn't really have. Any made guys, Terry Funk and Ricky Steamboat were, were earlier that year. Steamboat's gone. Funk is kind of phased out. He, he's forced to retire. Forced by to the- retire. <laughs> and and Crazy. and really, the only unless you decide that Brian Pillman is ready, which I'm not sure how many people would have bought him. 
uh, as a title contender. But essentially, you would have to throw away that pay-per-view, right, if Brian Pillman is a contender. And so you you turn it to Lex, and you, and you have to, you, you know, Lex had been... Um, you know, he, he'd been so good in, in his role previously, and now he's got to kind of turn babyface in order to, to face Rick because Rick had just turned heel. So it's not like you could have Rick go back and be the babyface. They just beat up Sting, who's who's the main babyface, and Lex has got to turn babyface to, to get into that role. Killed me. Killed me to see. I mean, I was excited for Lex to get a title shot, but I was so... I did not want him to be a good guy. I loved this Lex Luger. This was my all-time favorite Lex Luger from from June of eight, 1989 to February of 1990. Um, it's just like his, as a heel, he was just really coming to his own, and you could tell that they're planning it. it was just like I said, we talked about this before. Like you know, there's news that it was going to be originally going to be what Luger and Flair, right? Wrestle War ninety, right? And, and you know, I um. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to need to ask about that one for sure because I still think that was misdirect. Well, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. I, I, I will ask and see if, if Dave has any recollection of that. Mm-hmm. And so, like, but like, it was like you know, Sting was going to win that title on you know February 24th at Wrestle War 90, and you know he had a ready-made big match versus Lex, right? Mm-hmm. So that was a a, a big because you know i think lex did a really good job as a baby face you know in in such a short time because you know people loved lex like he start, he started getting even more popular when he became a heel again and people he's, he's get cheered over tommy rich and even brian pillman like you know you know in philadelphia they're in Halloween having a nine he's getting cheered over brian pillman so and then same thing with clash nine in new york um so you know, it was a if it was a big match that they had planned probably for this Great American Bash in 1990. It's just you know things got pushed back because of Sting's injury. Big Dave does not play Booker very often. I can I can I remember when he writes booking ideas. I can remember when he rebooked ECW uh, joining the WCW versus WWE thing in I think I guess 2001 or whatever it was. And so in the observers, when he sees what's about to happen, he says basically what I just said, which is he doesn't like to book things because booking is way more about writing it on paper. You got to deal with egos. You got to deal with contracts. There's so much more to it than just coming up with an idea. But he said what he would have done if he could have got it to happen was have Lex Luger come out and still be a heel and basically say that because Sting is hurt, he as the U.S. champion is the de facto number one contender and have Jim Ross say, you know, here in NWA, WCW, we actually have guys wrestle for, for, for opportunities. And thus, in order for you to become the number one contender, you got to face Scotty Steiner. And Dave says he would have Scott beat Lex for the championship. And it it would be an underdog win because no one believed in Scott as a singles wrestler in early 1990. Mm -hmm. It would definitely be an upset. It would be some sort of like, you know, I I, I don't know if it's Rick helping him or whatever, but it would Scott has the, the underdog win. Then he goes into Wrestle War against Rick. And Dave even mentioned, he's like, look, this pay-per-view tanks if you do this. But the idea is 
you you have to make new stars because you only have Lex. He's the only guy that anyone's going to buy. And so he says, Scott and Rick have this match. All of a sudden, something happens. Scott's arm is draped over Rick. He wins the title. And now you have Scott against... Um, and you Scott as the champion. And you, you also have Lex. You have Sting coming back. You have Rick Steiner, who... People forget how hot Rick Steiner was. Like, like Scott. Be, Scott is obviously the most talented guy, but the fans loved Rick way more because he was a personality. You, you, so you elevate Scott, you elevate Rick, and then you bring Terry Funk back to feud with the Horsemen, and and that's Dave's sort of version of here are three baby faces until Sting comes back. And so I, th- I, mean, I thought it was an interesting idea because I don't remember, you know, too many people talking about, oh, you know, Scotty Steiner is going to be like the next big thing until the following year, which is when I think we all thought that, you know, uh, as uh, young wrestling fans, we were like, oh, you know, by 1991, Scotty should 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 be the, the guy. But I thought that was an interesting idea. And, um, you know, that it, it, it would be more of a really long term thing because it would not pay dividends right away for sure. Yeah, yeah, um, I'm sure that the buy rate would definitely suffer. Um, I get it. I, I don't know if Scott at that time would be ready for that though. He wasn't even ready in 1991 to wrestle Flair at Clash, right? Yeah, 14. Yep, I think it was. Um, I always thought in hindsight it should have been Pillman mm-hmm. because there was a connection between Pillman, Sting, and Flair um, during the during the summer of 89, there was even an interview where Flair, they talked about like, you know, Flair has taken Pillman under his wing and what's weird, they never really showed him team up together and all that kind of stuff. I think they, you know, but I think there was, there was still something there. And I think even on the, on the, um, the clash 10 during when after Sting was kicked out of the horseman, there was even an interview with Brian talking about how he's disappointed. Oh yeah. Flair and everything. Oh yeah. So we, uh, we actually talked about this, I believe on the very first mm-hmm. we want flair that we ever did which is i think it's i think it's in the feed you can still find it in our rss feed but when we we started this project you know a couple years ago and and decided that we want we we actually did it um you know we we just did one show rather than kind of the the segments that we do over multiple shows now but yeah i think we 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 explained that whole thing during that show yeah so i always said you know they have a tv match which they did which they did a great rating um but instead of Flair beating Pillman, it was Pillman who beat Flair and they set up the Wrestle War 90 match. And I think, you know, yeah, the buy rate would have suffered because Pillman wasn't at that time, you know, a big name as obviously Sting and Luger. But this could be a match that's definitely make Pillman. He would have had a classic with Flair, especially because they would have longer time to tell the story than they did on TV. And the match on TV was great. I love that match. And that's why we talked about it for our We Went Flair. And um, I think it would have been a, a perfect match to make, you know, Pillman not winning. He doesn't need to win this match. He just needs to have a classic. And I think he can. He could have with Flair at the time. And so, but uh, they went with Luger and the rest is history in there. Okay. Around this time, Flair resigns from the booking committee. But 
he has a different thought process about about what happens here from his book. So I will I will read from his book. Unfortunately, we don't have the real Ric Flair to give us the quote this time, like we did uh, a few weeks ago. We actually had Rick on to do the, to do the quote for us. So Rick says, uh, "Quote: Jim Hurd was mad at Sting for getting hurt and wanted me to drop the title to Luger instead. I objected." This had nothing to do with Luger. I spoke to him about it and explained everything. I was keeping my word to Sting. Since the first Clash of Champions in 1988, we'd been portraying him as the future of the company. My job initially had been teaching him how to work, but it was like training a prime racehorse. He picked up his craft inside the ring and on the run was learning how to be a character and draw money. He'd pass every test. His knee would heal soon. I told Hurd, and it was stupid to change course now. For refusing to lose to Lex, I was kicked off the booking committee, but I wouldn't waver on my promise to Sting. Okay, so that quote is like a bunch of things. And in The Observer, um, there was uh, stuff that kind of backs up what Rick says, but I'm not sure if it backs it up exactly. But uh, so let's talk about that. So Dave writes after um, after Russell War, he said that the crowd was ready for a Luger win. And for reasons he can't even figure out, Luger didn't actually want the title. He thought maybe that if he did get the title, he'd sort of be in Flair's shadow and he'd sort of be set up to, to be in a bad position. Um, the position that he's in as sort of the U.S. champion is safer because Flair takes all the heat, and the NWA is still a long way away from being ready um, to, to to consistently draw. And maybe Luger figures it's in his best interest to wait until the company turns the corner before taking the top spot. Um, so at this point, so we're still talking about um, we're still uh, Russ Wars late February, right? Uh, yeah, it's uh, on Flair's birthday, February 24th. Okay, so at this point in time, they're still looking at Sting uh, as an August comeback. So they're not even sure he's going to be back yeah. by the bash. So in early April, this is where Dave reports that Flair is supposed to drop the title to Luger. But supposedly, in his contract... He had the right of refusal. And this seemed to be much more about Jim Hurd versus Ric Flair. Mm -hmm. And on Rick's side, what he was trying to leverage was that he would drop the title to Lex, but he wanted to be able to negotiate with WWE. And Hurd said, no, we, that, that's not going to happen. So then Rick just kept the title. Yeah. So around this time as well, Midnight Express, we're going to join the Four Horsemen, <laughs> but Jim Hurd nixed it. It was going to be, uh, this is Dave's reporting, it was going to be Bobby and Stan having, uh, uh, um, Jim was going to move into more of a, a commentary role, Woman was basically going to become their manager, and they were going to join the Horsemen. And heard nixed it, and supposedly Cornette just went nuts, <laughs> as as you can imagine, Cornette goes nuts. Yeah, you know, I, I, ne I remember hearing the first time I ever heard this story was actually in the Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Oh wow, where they mentioned that you know 
the uh, Midnight Express and the Horsemen getting together or something like that. And I was like, huh? And and I always thought that was kind of like a like a like a fake story. Like, well, no way Jim Cornette would let that let that happen. But he's confirmed it many times on his podcast. Talked about it. Yes, that was the plan. He was going to do a color commentary role, which he was doing with Jim Ross, which they made a great team. And then. Because Arn suffers, I think I don't know if it might be his first neck injury, maybe not, maybe he's had others, but he suffers a serious neck injury yeah. during his time. He has a herniated disc in his neck. And so he's out. Ole Anderson only came back for a short time. He wasn't going to be a full-time wrestler. So he's not He's not wrestling. So it's just flair. And so they're going to put you know the, the Midnights with them you know, because the Midnights fit. The horsemen, they, you know, Stan is a, you know, partier, womanizer, and, you know, has the look. Uh, Bobby Eaton is like, Arn Anderson can work his ass off, one of the greatest of all time. So, it just fits. But, um, yeah, I, I'm kind of glad it didn't happen. I don't know. Something about Jim Cornette and not with him in Express would have really bummed me out because, you know, that's my favorite tag team. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would have really enjoyed that well. I liked what they did with the horsemen, though. I, I did. It just unfortunately didn't turn out to be big as I thought it was going to be. So the booking committee flares off of it. There's like 10 guys on it. They need a lead booker. Bill Watts, leader in the clubhouse, also talked to Jared Jarrett. Jim Hurd decides that new booker is Ole Anderson. For whatever reason, I think Watts wanted a little bit more control than Hurd was willing to give up. So... Instead of Watts, uh, Ole Anderson comes in and becomes the new Booker. Come. That would have been interesting to see how Watts would have done in 1990. Mm-hmm. So heading into Capital Combat, which is the pay-per-view in which uh, Robocop mm-hmm. uh, is, is, is part of it. And Ellie Don't Gante. let Crystal walk in on that one. Oh, my God. Okay. And Eligante, by the way. Eligante's uh, first situation, I believe. For first show, They first show him on, on a main thing. Um, so Lex has a staff infection heading into Capital Combat. So he's already he like I think he had missed like some shows before, and they just had him uh, try try and just wait it out until the pay per view. And so he's not at his best at all. It's a cage match, and there's a disqualification in the cage match, and so. I think, at least as far as the reporting is, is and now I, I stopped reading The Observer sort of after after the Great American Bash, so I don't know if Dave has said anything else about this, but he thought that the, the reason why it ended in disqualification was because Luger did not want to lose, and he felt that because Rick refused to, put, to, to lose to him in April, that you know he's going to... Uh, utilize his 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 authority in a sense, and and not do the job. And the I, I think the idea was maybe you know everyone knows that he's hurt. You know the, the old you know Steve Austin pass out in in the sharpshooter kind of finish, which in the long run could could have helped could could have been a good thing for him. But he just decided that it was better that he does not take the fall in that match uh, in the way that they, that they wanted him to. And thus you get the screwy finish where you're booked in a cage. How can you have disqualification in a cage? And so that was yeah. kind of frustrating. Big time bummer. Uh, Jim Ross did cover Captain Common at 90 on one of his podcasts. 
And I believe he put the heat on Hurd. Mm. That Hurd did not want to beat Luger. And it's, it kind of kind of goes together. I kind of believe this because, well, like you just said, Hurd wanted Luger to beat Flair, right? Flair is refusing to lose to Luger because of his contract. So I think Hurd might have been stubborn with Luger. It's like, well, I don't want to beat him. We can't, you know, we can't beat Luger. I want our future stars because he already, he already kind of tell by this by this negotiation that where Hurd sees his flair, right? He sees him as old news and he wants to go with the younger Sting and Luger combo. So um, I can see that. But God, why didn't everyone just boycott this show? But hey, <laughs> we're not going out there. And I, I, I don't know if Luger would really be that upset about losing when he has an out with the staph infection. I mean, what's the name? Jim Ross tells a great story in that match. He lays it all out there for you. You know, he talks about how he just got out of the hospital. He's, you know, he's gutting his way through it. Like, yeah, he's what a what an inspiration, blah, blah, blah. And like him succumbing to the pain of the staph infection or maybe, yeah, I mean, he, he can just pass out. He doesn't have to tap. He doesn't do nothing. Like he would be protected, you know, like he, that, I mean, who would fault the guy with the staph infection, the injured leg that lost, right? Stupid, stupid ego, stupid bullshit man. I, what i wonder is you know if you see herd and flair and flair basically just tell herd you know you're the boss but like you can't tell me what to do if you're a luger you're like okay like why should i have to be able to do that then if i'm the future and rick's getting his way i should have some leverage here yeah, and you can and have her a little bit yeah her oh, maybe her play that game like you know luger we I think you as a, as a future, you and Sting are the guys, right? And maybe that get, can that can get to Luger's head too, yep, right? Yep. So, but God, why can't they all just go as? I mean, they're all all the people. Kevin Sullivan, Ric Flair, Luger even has to understand this. You know, like this is we're not gonna kill a cage match for this, mm-hmm. like because all just come together and just do the right thing for the business and. Uh, so I, I hate Capital Combat ninety. I like <laughs> I like some things about it. I like they, they never did another Capital Combat show, right? Yeah, because this bad taste at the end of that show. But you know they had a great Doom and Steiner's match with the tag team titles. They had also a great U.S. title match with Pillman and Zinc in the Midnight Express. But and there's some other cool stuff on the undercard. But other than that, it's just like that. It's just every time I think Capital Combat, I don't think RoboCop which everyone else would probably think RoboCop. I think about the stupid cage opening up mm-hmm. and just, you know, killing that town. Okay, so Luger goes through some arthroscopic surgery and none other than the junkyard dog comes in. Mm, man. The J- Watts wasn't booking. <laughs> <laughs> the JYD comes in. Um, also, I'd never heard of this before. Who was set to come in was Kerry Von Erich, but he no-shows and doesn't come in, and they immediately replace him with Orndorff. Imagine mm. Kerry Von Erich being one of the dudes with the attitudes. Wow. And and Von Erich's going to come to WWE like just a few months later, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm guessing... I'm guessing word was out that Kerry Von Erich is going to WCW and... Vince made a phone call. Swooped him, swooped in on him. him. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, the very strange time. Like, you know, Ole Anderson, the book, went with what he knows, right? He he knows Orndorff. He knows Junkyard Dog. But he didn't really consider, like, 
there. I mean, Orndorff was still a good worker, you know. He was still he wasn't like the Orndorff of A6, super jacked and everything. He looked like he still had a great body, good athlete, but he didn't look like the the, the, the superstar of Paul Orndorff from the WWF. Junkyard Dog was like bad, 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 bad. It's Ric Flair's worst one of his worst matches of all time. And that's why you got to go back and watch this clash <laughs> chip. Just, you know, just to can't, you know, it's just, they, I mean, they had to go six minutes. I mean, a six minute Ric Flair main event. My goodness. I mean, it's, but the whole show is actually pretty good. A lot of good matches on the show. So I teased this on our last show on, uh, on Thursday and it's the big John stud story. So how does big John stud fit in this whole thing? This is even before he goes back to WWF for like that last run that he had. No, no, has, this has to be after, right? Cause 89, he went, he, he was in WWF. Uh, let me think about that. Yeah. He won the Royal Rumble in 89. Yep. No, you're right. Yes. Cause it was WrestleMania. Was it like five. WrestleMania five? He was the referee in that match. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. You're right. So it's, it's like a year later. So he is uh, the co-host of a wrestling talk show that is on KNBR for an hour on Saturday night. He says that okay, so everyone everyone's wondering about Sting, right? Who's gonna who's gonna beat Flair? Who's gonna beat Flair? And look, that was the story around this time. the The other story is. Uh, you know, because that was always the story. Like, Flair's old. Who's going to be the next guy? Like, is he going to lose? Like, that. that's the story with NWA. The other story going around this time is, is Flair going to WWF? And is he going to be the main event for WrestleMania 7? And how, like, so th- that, that story is also going around during this time. So Big John Stud is is on this show. And it's a call. It's a caller driven radio. So you can imagine some of the dumbest calls you could possibly get on a show like this. So caller says, "Hey, you know, it, it, is Sting gonna come back and beat Flair for the title?" And Junkyard and and, and uh, Stud goes, "No. I think what's gonna happen is uh, Great American Bash, Flair and Junkyard Dog. Junkyard Dog's winning the title." And I, even me, I was like, what are you talking about? Right? Like, I'm like, I don't know, I'm like 13 or whatever. Just, just yelling at Big John Stud. Like, I'm not, I'm not reading The Observer at this point. I don't, you know, I wouldn't have a subscription for like another nine years. I am reading uh, Meltzer's uh, national columns, I believe, by this time. But I'm just yelling at Big John, like, what are you talking about? Like, this is so dumb. The junkyard dog is going to beat Ric Flair to be the NWA champion. Like, it's clearly going to be, you know, Sting whenever they do the next pay-per-view. So that, that's my Big John Stud story. You know, he rest in peace, Big John Stud, but you were really bad on that show. But, you know, at the also, that's how I got a little bit of, like, wrestling talk, like, you know, as a, as a teenager, thanks to Big John Stud as well, so... Dude, you scared me. I thought you were going to say that Big John Studd was getting considered to come in. <laughs> Big John Studd against Ric Flair, was is that a better match than JYD? No. Probably, <laughs> I don't know. Fuck, I wouldn't do that. Gosh. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so Sting is back for July for the Great American Bash. It is, uh, it is clear that, you know, he, he is the next guy. And I don't think there was as much wonder if Flair's putting him over as there was only a couple months earlier. 
whether Hogan's going to put over Ultimate Warrior. Like, I think there was a lot of people who thought Warrior, uh, Hogan was winning that match. And in this case, I think a lot of people realize, okay, you know, as long as the, there's nothing going on with Jim Hurd, like Flair's probably going to lose this match because it's the time, it's time, right? It's time to lose, to lose this match. Sting is hot. The problem with this, though, is Sting was hot, but he was also on a lot of the TV heading into this match. So it's not like fans were like from Russell War were like, oh, we haven't seen Sting at all. Nope, he was at Russell War, caused Luger to you know to get to lose that match or get counted out or whatever. Oh, he's at Capital Combat with Robocop, so we we see him again. Oh, he's you know at yeah, the clash. clash. So it's not like people didn't see him at all. Like they definitely kept him in the rotation just to remind you that he was he was he was going to be be around. But I do wonder if there was a little bit too much of Sting. But um, I don't think that was a problem here. It may have been a problem sort of like after this match. I think it was just people felt it. Like I remember knowing in my gut, and I didn't know anything about wrestling other than I just took everything as it was, right? So, I mean, I, I knew it was not on the up and up. I know this was, my dad told me right away, you know, it was, it's not real. Oh, yeah. And so, um, so I knew that, but I like, you know, I didn't know the backstage stuff. I didn't know what I heard and all that kind of crap. All I did know was like on this day, July 7th, 1990, Sting is winning it. Yeah, I, I mean, and maybe was, maybe they, they they set the they they set the deck for me. They they they. Well, I mean, they, the, yeah. the face paint with the red, white, and blue. And well, not just not that, not that. I'm talking about the stips. I'm talking about the stips was the horseman been interfering, and I don't know. This might also have been a make do for that stupid cage match finish. They put all the dudes with attitudes: Paul Orndorff, JYD, and the Steiner brothers are all me in each four corners. I didn't. I didn't, I didn't like that. I mean, I liked it as a, as a kid because I was like, okay, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna stop the horseman, mm-hmm. and Elegante was also gonna be handcuffed to Ole Anderson. Yep. And this the scenario worked great because you know the horseman did try to come out and they were stopped. And I think the fans really it was hot early in that match, but I think that kind of like oh my god, this is really gonna happen. But I'm telling you, like, as I knew going in, like, I just felt it in my bones. Like, okay, this is gonna happen. This is, Sting is winning it here. So the match uh, starts out, and Flair, obviously, there's there's a built-in storyline here. Sting had a real-life knee injury. What is Flair's finishing move? Oh, the figure four. Perfect, perfect story. Works the knee early. Easy, easy story here. Oddly... I don't know if you I don't know if you wondered this, but when um, they make the 10 minute call, it felt like the match had just started. And it's like right about six minutes where they make the 10 minute call. The thing that's pretty cool about this match is Flair is uh, Flair. Flair's being Flair, but there are moments where Sting is just outsmarting him. He is quicker to to the move than Flair, and so, like you said, you you kind of know that you, you're like feeling it in your bones that he's going to win. And they 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 tell you during this match, like you know what, Sting is younger, he's faster, he's smart, he's not a dumb baby face here, and he's a he you know he's Rick Rick is Rick is frustrated because Sting is outsmarting him. Like he puts Flair in the figure four at one point before Flair even puts him in a figure four. 
Uh, Jim Ross like foreshadows the title change like three times. Like, is it the time? <laughs> is it here? Has the title change changed hand to start a decade? Yeah. You know, it stayed out three times before. Will this be the fourth time? Like, like he just kept, and I remember like, wow, I mean, he did really foreshadow that. Maybe that's why I was like thinking like, oh, maybe he's going to win, you know, but. So, I mean, but, but Ross is great though. Oh yeah. I mean, there, there are definitely moves where, you know, Sting uh, hits his knee or there, there, there's a, there's a moment in this match where I still don't even know what happens, but like he rushes Rick in a corner and he like hits his, like misses something and hits his knee okay. on a turnbuckle because the, Glad we're going to talk about it <laughs> because the camera goes to the sh- shot of the crowd right before yeah, the they, they, they blew it. They blew that. But okay. You, you talked about uh, on our last show, you talked about, Little things that just drive you crazy. Oh, yeah. We talked about the no blood when Rhea Ripley oh, yeah. gets her, you know, that, you know, gets her face smacked. She looks down and there's like, she's looking at her hand forever and there's no blood. I hate, I just go, just, and, it, and I got a little fired up here when I watched this match. I hate when a guy gets his knee worked on, his elbow worked on, or whatever body part worked on. And, and it's most time, this is what pisses me off. It's mostly the knee and the people do the stupid spot. Sting has never, <laughs> ever did a jumping knee into a corner. <laughs> and of course, because his knee's getting worked on, he does it. Oh my God, his knee's hurt. Like, I he hate that. Splash. That's what he just, he, he just looks, I know he does a stinger splash, but he doesn't put his knee up. No, that's what I'm saying is, is that's what he usually does when there's someone in a corner is he does a stinger splash. Like, 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 you just, you just look like an idiot. Right to do something that's gonna hurt your knee even more. Like you would do everything to protect it when it's that hurt. Right? I was just thinking, like, why can't you just do a stinger splash? Flair moves. He crashes in the turn mm-hmm. corner. He stumbles out and still grab his knee because I'm sure the 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 compression, the, you know, the hit the force of hitting that turnbuckle will rattle to the bones and the knee is still caught. You know, still has some effect on it. It's I just hate that. Why would like I hate that? I hate that. I hate that. CM Punk getting his knee worked on and doing a knee in the corner. That makes sense because he mm-hmm. does that yeah. move, right? Sting never. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did that. So um, there, there's there's a moment in this match where Sting does a stinger splash. He puts a scorpion on Rick. I wondered for a shoot if his if his knee was bothering him because it doesn't look like he's able to hold that that scorpion well. Um, well, I think he's also a little blown up this match oh because yeah because he hasn't been working there's a point in the match it's good there is a point in the match where there's a little bit of a weird lull and like i could you can kind of tell like sting is you know he he he's there when he needs to be there right but there's a moment i think it kind of catches up to him but i think that adrenaline kind of kicks in again towards the end and he everything goes good but uh you know in the post-match interview you can tell (laughs) He was, he was definitely uh, uh, sucking wind. And, and it, hey, it's, 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 quite, it's quite possible. That's why they called the ten minute mark at six minutes. It's it's to be expected because God, this is his first. I don't, did he work a singles match leading up to this? I know they did. They did tag matches yeah. on house shows yeah. to get him. You know, but still, like doing a couple tag matches is still you know wrestling cardio is a lot different than just running on a treadmill. So, so like you said, the the dudes with attitudes are are around the ring to protect it so that the horsemen don't interfere. Ole Anderson can't get away from Eligante, so the horsemen finally appear, and the babyfaces are so smart, they attack the babyface, they attack the heels on the ramp, and then Rick does a a great move, and this is actually a great, uh, like a great tease, 
Sting is on his back in the ring. Rick dives over the second rope and he splashes Sting, but he's going to hold his feet on the second rope. Really cool kind of kind of thing. And all of a sudden you see Scotty Steiner running the 100-yard dash to knock Flair's feet off of the rope so that he does not allow the dirtiest player in the game to win the match that way. Scotty Steiner was there to protect his boy and uh, did not allow that to happen. So, but he messed the spot up though. Cause he was too early. He was too early. Didn't get a two count. They barely even got a count. Yeah. It was like, it was, it was like, it was like a half of one count, but that it was cool though. And, and, and again, like here it is that then that step made this, that step was justified. Right. And so, yeah, that, that was, that, that was great. I mean, all, you know, and then he missed, messed the spot. I didn't know back then he messed the spot up until now I'm looking at him I'm like, Oh shoot. He, you know, I'm sure flair wanted a nice, you know, near fall in that. He's not even a luchador. You can't blame the luchadors for that one. This is Scott Steiner. He's kind of a... <laughs> uh, okay. So then um, we, we mentioned Sting's running knee into the corner, misses it. <laughs> and Flair is like, okay, this is the end. He's like, now it's time to go to school. It's He's ready. He's about to win the match with figure four. Sting cradles him, pins Ric Flair to win the title. And uh, that is uh, that that is the historic moment. And, you know, the, the, the thing that I don't think I realized until much later is that from, you know, July, like Sting only holds the belt for like six months. Yeah. Yeah. For that first run. And then, you know, they take it off of him in January of 91. But he's got the he's got the uh, the, the the match with uh, Sid at Halloween Havoc where the Barry Windham is the fake sting and, and they do that whole thing. And then he's then it's the Black Scorpion as well. And those are his two main programs. As far as I remember, I don't know if he worked a clash with anybody else. He didn't work any. He didn't work the um, he worked the well, he worked the September clash versus Al Perez, Black Scorpion, yeah. and then he didn't work the November Clash. He was just there for the uh, the magic show of the Black Scorpion. Oh yeah, they, oh, yeah. they turned the person into a tiger or a kid into a tiger. Or, yeah. I don't know, just stuff I want to block out of my mind. <laughs> so there, there we go, and uh, that is the uh, that we want Flair actually for the entire year of 2020 because starting next week, uh, this segment will be 1992 WCW Saturday Night Reviews, sort of like what we did last year with the 1993 Raws, where we reviewed the entire year of Raws, we're going to do the same thing with Saturday Night. And it's not because I don't want to do the We Want Flair. It's just these We Want Flair shows take so much just time for for uh, you know research and stuff that I just need to break from it. I, I love it, and, and we'll probably bring it back in, in 2021, but I do need to just kind of like just watch a show and, and, and talk about it. I still will do research for for those uh, Saturday nights as much as what's going on in the observer from 92. So we will have, you know, sort of inside information from back then, but uh, yeah, the, the, just the, the flare shows are a little bit more research intensive and just going to take a break and, and kind of get, get ready for, uh, for the next group of shows that, that we'll talk yeah. about next year. This is a, this is a fun one to end. Uh, we want flare for now on. I, I, cause you know, so just could my whole life revolved around this, this time, you know, and I kept, you know, it's all I would think about. I mean, I would be at Little League thinking about, uh, thinking about what's going to happen on World Championship Wrestling, right? And so, this was a lot of fun. And I, it, it's funny when you say the dudes with attitudes, you know, I'm a card carrying member. 
other dudes that you have do you have uh i have a card i gotta dig it out so i can post it on their group page on facebook at the fight game uh fight game group page and um it was like on a it was with within a magazine i might have been pwi you just send in this little thing and you get a card and i got a card wow so it's it's in a it's in a baseball card sleeve <laughs> protecting that son of a gun sting signed it you know like i think a yeah. Yeah. Wait, how, how soon are Orndorff and JYD gone? It's they're not like there for very long. August. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, so that I don't know what happened with Orndorff, probably some kind of sort of money issue or something. All right. I, well, I actually was able to get Dave on to answer the questions that John and I had in the segment prior. So Dave, just to kind of get you to to where where we're at so 1989 starcade where they did the the tournaments the for, tournament. for future of the iron man tournaments so sting comes out of that as uh, beating rick flair and all signals look like they're headed for sting and flair at russell war which they were the but the i think it's the observer after so it would have been the first observer probably in 1990 you were sensing that while Sting won, they still considered Lex to be the number one contender and even maybe more so the person to get the title than Sting. And then very quickly, like, uh, you know, before that clash, I think things had changed. But do you have any memory of that? Uh, uh, why it would have you would have thought that it may have still been Lex instead of Sting coming out of Starcade? Well, I, I, um, I think that it was just that Lex was like, um, what's the, you know, it, it was, the idea was that Lex and Sting were going to be the future. I think that they had kind of, um, was it 89, um, when the year was over, um, yeah, it was 89 when the year was over and, the mentality was that okay this is Rick's last run and and Rick was kind of blamed for the business not being so strong and Sting was going to be the savior but the idea was that Sting would chase Lex Lex would be the top heel Sting would be the top babyface so it would go to Lex to beat Flair and then Sting to beat Lex and then Flair kind of I'll, I'll go heel it's better for him to beat me um, and then he could you know, whatever, then he could work with Lex down the road and, and the booking team at the time, cause you had Cornette and Sullivan and, and Rick, you know, was kind of like, yeah, that makes more sense, you know? So, and Rick liked being a heel more anyway. Rick always, right. every, every time Rick was a baby face, he was trying to figure out a way to go heel. Um, and I think that, you know, Rick after, you know, probably around the age of 40, even though I, I mean, Rick is technically a better heel than he is a baby face the reality is at certain times of your life when you get to a certain age and you've been good for so long you know people want to cheer you and they just kind of like enjoy your body of work and it's harder to get booed and you're you become you know same thing with Pero Aguayo was one of the greatest heels there ever was you know once he got into his 40s and you know he had to be a baby face and they figured it out and he became you know in his 40s one of the greatest baby faces that Mexico ever had so it's it's just the you know, I mean, we and we see this in sports with McEnroe and Connors and, you know, even, you know, whatever, you know, I mean, Ollie is a different type of thing, but 
I I believe we will see it with John Jones, as weird as this sounds. I've always said that, you know, with John Jones, it's like everybody hates him. I go like, John gets to be 36. Everyone's going to love him because you're just going to go. He was so great. And now, you know, uh, maybe and maybe they won't. But I always, you know, that was always my thought of John Jones career trajectory when people, oh, they'll never like him. And it's like, it's like, yeah, it gets to be 36. It's you become and you've been in the public eye for 15 years. And and, you know, no matter what you've done, you know, if people think you were an asshole at some point, that familiarity becomes I want to like you because you've got so much longevity. And, um, you know, so but Rick never Rick still always wanted to be a heel. You know, I mean, that's just like he was so comfortable being a heel, so comfortable putting people over. And, you know, he was insecure as a babyface, which is funny because, you know, as a babyface, he was one of the most charismatic babyfaces of all time. And a lot of people haven't seen him in the Carolinas in his prime in that role, but he was. Now, I, I think I was 13 when Future Shock happened. And even though I sort of figured that Sting, you know, that was sort of the that Sting was going to be the the next guy. I always wanted the Flair Sting Horseman thing as baby faces to go on a little bit longer than it did. Did you did you think that they could have done something there where, you know, maybe maybe instead of uh rushing it to uh, to Russell War, maybe maybe it goes to Starcade or it goes to Great American Bash before they turn on Sting. What was there any value in having Sting and Flair together as a babyface team? You could always do something because the longer they're together, the more it means. But you know the the thing was is I don't know that Rick going heel was was the right move in that year. Um, you know, um. But with the horsemen, it's it's easier because Ric Flair is one of the horsemen. You're, the, the horseman group is a natural heel group. Although by that time, the horsemen had been around so long that people were, you know, wanting to cheer most of them anyway. I don't know about Ole because, you know, <laughs> Ole's just not a baby face. But, um, you know, there was kind of like that respect and things like that, especially with Dusty gone, you know, um, because it was always them against Dusty and Dusty's gone and, and they were half baby face anyway. So um, to, to a lot of the fans. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, I thought when when I had heard that, that Sting was going to win the title at Wrestle War, I mean, my thought was, you know, never that Sting shouldn't win the title because that's inevitable. But I thought it's too early. I, I want a long chase and a long story, you know, and um, and it even could be in a face versus face. Although in that era, um, I don't, you know, and I, you know, you know, I mean, Rick would have worked heel in the match, which is fine. You know, he could still be a baby face and work heel in the match because that's just the natural dynamic of the way that match should, should play out. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I remember at the time I thought it was it was being rushed. But you got to remember, like at this point in time, management was blaming Rick for mm -hmm. every problem. And it was just like Rick's over 40. And that's our problem. We are not getting the kids. We need Sting as champion as soon as possible, as opposed to let's tell a story to get Sting there in the most effective way. And so um, but they were just so adamant. As soon as we get Sting as champion business is going to turn around. We're going to be selling out the Omni and this and that. And I was like, you know, he's not a great promo at the time. He, he later became a great promo, but he's not a great promo. And the other thing is, is that there was a standard that people expected out of world title matches for, you know, that Rick, you know, gave them and race gave them too. Rick was able to follow race that sting isn't going to be able to give. 
and that's going to be that was always going to be a problem with Sting as champion, and it turned out to be you know the you know the the the, the guy who followed Rick and the guy who followed Hogan in both cases had a real tough road because one nobody could be as charismatic as Hogan and and you know nobody then could work like Rick you know I mean in a couple of years yeah Shawn Michaels but you know Sting wasn't going to be that guy and so it was tough for it was tough for Sting and um and again one of the problems with Sting at other points is they didn't have the right opponents ready for him and and the company just went down the shitter anyway but um but yeah it wasn't that bad in 90 but at that point in 90 I was I absolutely was thinking that they're they're rushing the story sure so when Sting gets hurt on that clash of champions, it uh, you know they 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 have to turn Lex babyface so that they have the pay per view and then right uh, Lex is in, is in the Capital Combat pay per view as well. Um, so you had mentioned that that uh, you know they, because they had nobody else, they they didn't have any top babyfaces uh, who were pushed to a level where you could actually have a pay per view match. I think, you know, Brian Pillman's out there, Scott Steiner is out there, uh, and, and guys like that, but nobody who was was a, a main event level, because Ricky Steamboat and Terry Funk were, were, were Rick's main opponents for, for 89, but they'd already, Ricky was gone, and then they phased Funk out at that point from a wrestling perspective. So there's a moment where um, Jim Hurd wants Rick to drop the belt to Lex. I don't exactly remember if it's before Capital Combat. It may have been before Capital Combat. It was. I think it was St. Louis at a house show, believe it or not. And Rick basically has something written in his contract where he gets to choose who he loses the title to. Right. And so in Rick's book, he says the reason why he didn't give it to Lex is because he promised Sting that Sting would be the next he, guy. He told me that. I mean, th that would be consistent because when this is all going on, because I talked to Rick about it as it was going on, and Rick was adamant that he promised Sting and, you know, he wasn't going to break the promise. And their thing was that they, they, just, they, they, they were obsessed that Rick was the problem. So they had to get it off Rick and they wanted Lex to have it. And then Lex turned heel on Sting, which was just, it's like, God, you know, and Lex didn't end up turning again anyway, but it was like, you know, if you're going to do it that way, you're, you're kind of ruining Lex at that point by turning him constantly, which they didn't understand. And, um, and then, you know, you're, so Lex wins and then he goes and loses to Sting, you know, and then, and goes, Lex wins, goes heel, loses to Sting. And it's kind of like, well, Rick just went heel now you're gonna have Lex go heel after winning, after first winning as a babyface, and it's like you know, it, it's just too much. And so uh, at Capital Combat, they do the really bad finish in a cage match where they actually get a disqualification. And so you were writing saying that it's possible that the reason the finish ended that way is because much like Rick didn't put Lex over to give him the title, Lex kind of pulled that on, on, on them saying, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lose. I'm not going to tap out. I'm not going to get pinned. There has to be something else going on there. Do you remember that story exactly? N not exactly, but um, yeah, I don't remember the details so much of, of that one, of that, that match. Um, 
And it was because, again, at that point, there was like the thing, you know, they may have just set up that 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 stip with no idea how to get out of it, because that happened all the time. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, we're going to do this cage match. It's like, but how do we do a finish? And it's like, well, we'll deal with it. We'll deal with it later because because. You know, the, at that point, by Capital Combat, we already knew that the big match was Ric Flair and Sting, and it was going to be at the Bash. I mean, we, that, you know, that was already known, and um, and and it was just kind of like everything else was just biding time, and 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 everything. And I think that um, you know, it, it may have been so much that they didn't know, and they didn't because you got to remember they didn't want to beat Lex either. It wasn't so much Lex. Um, I mean, the only ones, the only one that I can remember. Where where Stinger Lex wouldn't put somebody over was when Terry Funk was chasing Flair, and and this was only going to be a house show run. They wanted Terry to beat Sting at some house shows, um, and Sting wouldn't do it because Sting didn't really understand the business. And Gary Hart like just killed Sting in his book over it. Um, and I think maybe in hindsight, you know, today Sting might have gone, it's, it's a house show, who cares? But at that point, you know, people were brain, you know, probably had stuff in his head. You know, it's like you can't lose to that old man. You know, you're Sting. And so, you know, every, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I never talked, I never talked to Sting about that exact thing, but you know, it, it, you know, it happened and it was frustrating and Terry, Terry was frustrated because it's like, you know, if you're Terry Funk and, and Terry was so giving and everything in all of his matches and without a doubt, you know what I mean? If, if this had happened there, the day would have come where Terry would have put Sting over twice as powerful yeah. as Sting ever put him over. Cause it was obviously going to be a fluke. Um, and it's just, it was just a, you know, I, I think that people got in Sting's head. If, if Sting really understood, like, you know, you know, instead of Terry Funk being an old man, it's kind of like Terry Funk's a legend that these people have seen for decades and, and is going to go down as an all-time great and, you know, losing him in, in the end, at a house show, no less, isn't the end of your run or your life. So uh, when Sting wins, it is pretty weird thinking back because... He wins this title and it's, it, I think, you know, Lex is probably sort of the long game, but he doesn't really have anybody to work with immediately. I know he, he wrestles Sid Vicious at, at Halloween Havoc and then the whole Black Scorpion thing, but it's almost like he wins just because they wanted him to win and there wasn't really a long-term plan about how he was going to be the big well, it was, champion. It was, it was only in the Black Scorpion and the Black Scorpion was, was another thing where they had like no idea, you know, it's like, it's like, it's this idea, but there's no idea of like, you know, what it is. I think it wasn't going to be like Al Perez under a mask. And then it became like 15 people under masks, depending on the city you were at and, you know, doing 10 minute world title matches after, you know, average world title matches after all the great Ric Flair matches. And it really hurt. I think that that hurt Sting badly because, you know, it would have been, I think Sting needed, somebody you know like uh a stan hansen or rick um you know i mean if terry was younger it could have been him um but he needed a really good work really good workers for about six months to have those kind of matches right away to where people would not go oh my god look at the drop off in the match quality now that rick flair's not champion and then that hurts sting if the match quality could stay up close to rick's level I think that that would have um, helped. And if he had heels that could cut great promos on him, that would have helped. But with the Black Scorpion, you didn't have either. You had these 10-minute nothing matches. And the whole idea was like, let's guess. So it's 
you know, what mid-card Dave Sheldon, Bill Irwin guy is in the freaking house show main event, you know, against Sting, and they're calling it a world title match. And it's like, of course people are going to say this is bogus, and that really hurts Sting's run. All right. Thanks for clearing those things up uh, for John and I. But that'll be it from here. So for Promise Thomas, for John, for Dave, I'm Double G. We'll see you when we see you. Peace out.